Hello everyone, my name is Michael and welcome to this week's edition of the Weekly Climate. In sync, October 10, 2020. Jim woke 8.30 to a brief tap on his wrist. It was his watch who told him that it was time to get up as he had just reached an optimal amount of sleep and was at an optimal place in his sleep cycle. The curtain pulled silently aside to let in the light. He sat up and he could smell the coffee in the kitchen. The coffee was actually brewed two and a half hours ago when power prices was low and renewable wind production was high, but it was still blazingly hot. He jumped in the shower, for which the water was already at an optimal temperature. It was amazing to think about that the water was actually also preheated two and a half hours earlier, just like the coffee, to take advantage of the lower power prices. He put on his clothes, poured a cup of coffee and opened his laptop. Angela rode the elevator down and stepped out into the reception area. She walked out of the big revolving door and into the street. It was silent. You could only hear people's footsteps and somebody talking on the phone. She went to the curb and the ride pulled up silently. She opened the door, got in, and the car took off. The car said, We're picking up your colleague Tom in six minutes and we'll be at the office in 14 minutes from now. Angela pulled out her phone and entered a few emails. The car stopped. The door opened and Tom got in. Hey, said Tom. Good morning, said Angela back. Wow, I'm riding with the CEO today, marveled Tom. Angela smiled. What are you doing at Jump Power? I'm a software engineer working on our wireless communication protocols. I was just hired two weeks ago. How do you like it? asked Angela. So far so good. The introductory program is really great. You get to know the others really quick. It's my last day of the program today. Then from next week it's work from home, replied Tom. As a publicly traded company, Angela and her top-level management team still had to work at an office. Anybody below sea level was working from home. Jump Power was one of the first companies to institute this policy prior to being publicly traded, and it was largely their model that caused this to be the standard way of operating companies. It saves people time to be with their families, costs less stress, fewer sick days, less waste of time stuck in traffic, and increased company productivity and general worker satisfactory levels. And perhaps the biggest benefit from a societal standpoint was that it enabled more people to move into the cities because large company buildings were now turned into apartments. The car arrived at the office and Tom and Angela got out and walked towards the company building together. It was now 5pm and Jim closed his laptop. He checked the My Neighbors app to see if there was anybody in the garden. He could see Tom, his next door neighbor and new colleagues was up there. He poured himself a glass of wine and rode the elevator to the top of the building. He quickly saw Tom relaxing in one of the lawn chairs. Hey Tom, he said. Hey Jim, you never guess who I rode with this morning. The CEO. Wow man, I haven't even met her once, replied Tom. Every now and then Jim missed talking to real people and not faces at the company. But then he remembered how much more time he had now to be with his family and friends. Early in the day he had enjoyed a coffee with one of his other friends in the rooftop garden as well. Something that would have been quite unheard of back when he started the company 25 years ago. This has been a short story written about the f- what the future might look like in a world where we have solved the climate crisis. And before I leave you to the newsletter, ask yourself this question. Even if climate change wasn't happening, wouldn't you want this future instead? And now for the quick overview. Climate and science. The Amazon is turning into a savanna. Scale of wildfires are happening 30 years too early, September was the hottest month on record ever, and Hurricane Delta hit the US Friday night. Technology. An interesting case study for microgrids in the small California town of Gonzales. Distributed energy resources are leaving renters out in the cold. 
and a new study have shown that nuclear and renewable energy doesn't coexist very well in the grid. Startups. India and Africa-focused mini-grid developer secures funding, and wind executives goes a different way in a new startup than the rest of the market. Investing. New Jersey is looking to force pension funds to divest from fossil fuel companies, and the biggest fossil fuel supporting bank, JP Morgan, is urging its clients to adhere to the Paris targets. Greenwashing. Major carbon emitters. Climate denial ad on Facebook gets 8 million views amidst the company supposedly crackdown on misinformation and two caches of leaked fossil fuel industry documents. Politics. The EU calls for 60% reductions and Greta and more rightfully calls it bullshit and 350 looks back at two years of lack of commitments from political leaders since the IPCC landmark 1.5c report. Climate justice. A look at the currently ongoing climate change lawsuits and a detailed look at Colombia's oil curse. Books. He did launch the All We Can Save book club this week. And in other news, detailed look at how damaging your hamburger is, how to get away from meat, and how to improve your home. The Long Overview. For those who want to dive deeper, brace yourselves. The Long Overview is coming. And we start off with stories we follow. The US presidential election. The US is a major emitter and are run by a climate skeptic and fossil fuel friendly person. We need a change. And after Joe Biden was elected as a Democratic candidate, that change has to be him. Hence, we clear a close watch on his climate aspirations. And for the news from last week. Last week features a vice presidential candidate's debate. And here Trump's vice presidential candidate Pence didn't want to say that a climate crisis is an existential threat. Biden's campaign ran a great campaign video against the fossils, which is really tragically funny because it's so true, and we have a link to it in the newsletter. And Brian Kahn from Earther states it's kind of obvious that to pass good climate policy, we need good and real people in Congress. Finally, he did sums up what's at stake for the 2020 election. And a disclaimer about the next story, which is about BP. I should make it absolutely clear that me bringing BP at the top of this newsletter is by no means an endorsement. In fact, I believe this to be yet another fossil fuel industry scam. But if it turns out not to be, then BP will be a model for other fossil fuel industry companies to follow, which is why it is important to bring up here. And if it turns out to be a scam, well, then it will be used front and center once again as an example of the fossil fuel industry's many lies. It's therefore a win-win to bring it front and center here. Better Petroleum's BP's Climate Aspirations BP has announced that it will slash oil production by 40%. If history teaches us anything, it is that this will be just another load of bullcrap, just like Beyond Petroleum were 20 years ago. But we will see. By putting the story up top here, we aim to track it very carefully. Just about all fossil majors are expected to cut jobs in the next period. Those who made a commitment to switch to green energy, such as BP and Shell, claims that the job cuts are due to the natural restructuring process of switching the energy portfolio to a green one and both BP and Shell have come under fire for greenwashing job cuts in this way. BP CEO strongly claimed that it is not greenwashing. And this is very interesting, because if we hold this greenwashing job cuts case in the light of an article that appears on Forbes, here the author, who clearly is a fossil fuel industry fan, lays out the strategy that fossils must follow to continue pumping out coal, oil and gas. Then two of the four key strategies he highlights is get ruthless in restructuring your portfolio, remove assets that will never be competitive, and Adopt a zero-based mindset, ask what you absolutely must have, not what you can do without. Which seems very much in line with cutting jobs in places that doesn't make economic sense. 
The article is really interesting and it allows one to peek inside fossil fuel survival strategy. And a brief comeback for a story we used to follow, and that is the California power outages amidst the heat waves. And the overview of the story is shortly that California has experienced a series of rolling blackouts in, in around August 16 as a result of high power demand and a few mishaps. And what we know is that power demand was high, but not higher than usual when solar started to drop and fossil gas power plant went unexpectedly offline. So the update on this story we want to bring is that this, there was a study conducted by the California grid operator who reports that poor planning and the once in a life in a 30 year heat wave event was a culprit of the blackouts in August. Typically the grid operator only plans for events that are expected to happen every two years, but with increasingly extreme weather events, this practice probably needs to be changed. And now for some climate and science news. A study has shown that the Amazon is at a critical tipping point, which, if passed, means that it will turn into a savanna. Currently 40% of the Amazon is already there, and The Guardian also published a detailed look at the fires currently raging in the Amazon and what caused them. And another study is showing that these mega-fires that are happening currently was expected to happen, but not for another 30 years. This comes in the week that California gets its very first gigafire, a fire currently burning on the border of Oregon, which has burned an area that is larger than all wildfires in California from 1932 to 1999 combined. And the fires are sure horrible, but the aftermath of the fire can be very dangerous, as a study recently showed that compounds in the water left after the fires could be potentially deadly. And September 2020 became the hottest month on record ever. We'll leave it at that. Hurricane Delta made landfall in Louisiana Friday last week. It has become the 10th hurricane to hit the U.S. in one year, hereby breaking a record that has stood since 1916. Parts of the state was already severely damaged from Category 4 storm lower that hit just a few weeks ago. And we finish off with some non-temperature related news. A report by the Global Carbon Project highlights the dangers of overlooking nitrogen as a source of greenhouse gases, as these gases alone could cause us to miss our climate targets. Last week, the introduction to the newsletter looked at an imagined future for cows, and if we switch off our empathy for our fellow animals for a moment, then there's a lot of work ongoing about how we can keep using them as meat machines. A new study looked at feeding them seaweed to reduce methane emissions, and another study suggests gene editing as a way to reduce methane emissions. Green Tech Media looked at an interesting case for microgrids in the town of Gonzales. Here, the utility is behind on upgrading the power infrastructure and doesn't expect to start a project for at least another four years, so the city is looking elsewhere to serve the power needs, microgrids. And another interesting article by Green Tech Media looks at the recent trend of so-called distributed energy resources, also called DERs, such as solar batteries and so on, installed in people's homes, as these might leave renters out of the Green Energy Party. The problem is that renters don't partake in the financial benefits of owning DERs. Finally, a new study has shown that nuclear and renewable energy doesn't coexist very well on the grid. The obvious reason is nuclear's desire to produce a stable output for a long time, with renewable energy's tendency to be more fluctuating. These problems could probably be solved, but what's more worrying is the fact that for countries analyzed, the ones focusing on nuclear actually had higher emissions than the ones focusing on renewable energy. Now for some startup news. Husk Power System, a mini-grid developer focusing on India and Africa, secures $5 million in funding. 
Husk supplies 120,000 people with power from their portfolio of 1.75 megawatts of renewable energy. Forbes published a detailed portrait of the Nordic battery maker Northvolt. It's an interesting read about the vision and plans for the company. A new wind developer, Triple Oak Power, goes a different way than the rest of the market by focusing on onshore wind instead of solar or offshore wind, which seems to be the norm. The company is founded by former Avangrid Renewables Wind Executives. The company recently secured an undisclosed financial commitment. If you want more startup news, I can highly recommend the Climate Tech VC newsletter. And now for some investing news. New Jersey is looking to force their current pension funds to divest from fossil fuels. That sounds like a great idea and something that all states and countries should look into. As there's a consistently larger party going on in renewable stock currently, and the green bonds market just surpassed $1 trillion. JP Morgan, the largest fossil fuel supporting bank in the world, has announced that they're going to force their clients to adhere to Paris targets. Whether this is just greenwashing remains to be seen. According to a new carbon tracker report, none of the fossil fuel majors are currently anywhere near the Paris targets. Finally, it has been revealed that the oil majors provide investors with their forward-facing production and earnings, but not with their emission targets, which is a key metric in a climate crisis world. If you want more investing news, I can highly recommend the Bloomberg Green newsletter. And now for some news about major carbon emitters. Leaked documents from Exxon reveals that their current production plan bodes climate disaster in terms of emissions. It's a disgrace that this company, along with the rest of the fossil fuel industry, can be allowed to continue to exist. And more leaked documents from an elite PR firm reveals the fossil fuels industry plan to attack a clean fuel standard in Canada. The plan was to convince the public that fighting climate change is a losing battle. A climate denial ad gets 8 million views on Facebook, despite Facebook's claim to stop spreading misinformation. Facebook is fast becoming the butthole of the internet if it doesn't start changing its ways. A big oil spill in Kamchatka is spelling ecological disaster for this pristine area in the east. And if you want more carbon emitter news, I can highly recommend the newsletter Heated and the podcast and blog on Drilled. And now for some news about politics. The EU proposes to raise the carbon emission reduction requirement for member states with up to 60%, but a long and detailed post by Greta Thunberg and other activists calls bullshit on EU's commitments, accusing the EU of cheating with the numbers. The buck post is pretty convincing, to say the least. And we have been fortunate to get a visit from Captain Obvious this week, as a US report reveals that climate change could spell economic chaos. No shit, Sherlock. The 1.5c report from IPCC held its two-year birthday last week, and 350 looked back at the lack of commitment from worldwide political leaders to adhere to the findings of that report. And now, climate justice. In a virtual meeting last week, climate-vulnerable countries urges the rest of the world to set ambitious climate targets, as the climate change is already increasingly damaging to these countries. The DSMARC blog reviews all about the current climate lawsuits that are ongoing around the world. It's a great read and a great inspiration about how even lawyers can do something to help climate change. Finally, a detailed look at Colombia's oil curse. It's really horrifying what's happening down there and very worrying where the global media coverage of stories like this is. Why does it have to be oilprice.com that reveals stories like this?
or we can save book club and other books. I have taken the liberty to rename this section a bit as I want to spotlight Healy's book club about the all we can save book which was recently published. However, we will also look at the occasional other book in this section. Healy started running an all we can save book club last week. Two newsletters each week will be dedicated to the book. I love the book and hence will use this space in my newsletter to echo those newsletters from Heated. And you can read the first Heated Book Club newsletter here, and there's a link in the newsletter. And you can also get the book, and there's another link for that in the newsletter. And just for the record, I have no affiliation, I just think this book is a terribly important different view on the climate crisis. Fragile Earth was published last week, which is a book that documents the impact of the climate crisis in pictures. The pictures published here on The Guardian are truly eye-opening. Climate change is here and has been for some time. And now for all the other stuff that we couldn't fit into any other category. Then the other category. An article on Forbes goes into detail about exactly how damaging your hamburger is to the climate. And Chris tells the inspiring story of a rapper turned restaurateur who runs a chain of vegan restaurants who aims to create true Texas-style barbecue but without animal protein. And while you're looking into how to change your diet, you may as well look at how to optimize your home. And now for your listening pleasure, podcasts. A quick shout out to two podcasts from last week that I didn't have time to listen to, as I also mentioned in the newsletter. And that is Inherited Party Poopers episode which have a very interesting angle that I as a white male hadn't considered, which is that although Greta is great for the climate movement, she clearly doesn't represent all climate activists. And Generation Green New Deal with the episode The AOC Effect contains a great portrait of AOC. And while very US-centric, AOC's rise is still an inspiration and almost causes me to want to go into politics. Seriously though, where are the AOCs of the EU? Okay, back to the podcast for this week. Inherited episode... The Green New Dream. Unfortunately, it is the last episode in this season in which they present a wide variety of utopias, not unlike this newsletter's introduction, following us having solved the climate crisis. Drilled Season 5, Episode 3, The Trial. More details on the trial against Chevron, Texaco and Ecuador, and the strategies that the big fossils used to try and derail it. It is seriously harrowing and appalling that these things have happened. Holy shit. Ezra Klein, How a Climate Bill Becomes a Reality, a new podcast on my list, which admittedly has always been on my radar. This one features an interview with Leah Stokes, who discusses how to ensure a climate bill becomes a reality. How to Save a Planet, episode How 2020 Became a Climate Election, another US-centric one about probably one of the most important tipping points for solving the climate crisis, the US 2020 election. The Energy Gang, episode... Exxon is losing the energy transition. The world's largest generator of wind and solar just outpaced the most iconic oil company in market value. What does that mean? That's it for this week, folks. If you feel like I'm missing something, please let me know at michael at weeklyclimate.com. And if you enjoy this newsletter, don't forget to share it with your friends, co-workers, and people you think could benefit from reading or listening to it. And if you got directed here by a friend or another link on the internet, don't forget to subscribe either to the podcast and or the newsletter. See you all next week.